The time is now for the dying of the old so that we can be reborn with the new. Those who have a heart as light as a feather will find that they are reborn into a new and radiant light. Those who have a heavy heart will be met with a tempest and will be stranded in the raging water holding on to driftwood. Lighten your heart and enjoy life with your family. This is a time to unburden your heart. The time is now for the dying of the old so that we can be reborn with the new. Those who have a heart as light as a feather will find that they are reborn into a new and radiant light. Those who have a heavy heart will be met with tempest and will be stranded in the raging water holding on to driftwood. This imagery is to let you know that it is okay to die so that you can be reborn. Let things die that must die. This includes for you, your employer, and your old life. Call upon your guiding star, which is a star in the northwestern corner of the sky. You will know it when you see it, but I showed it to you in your vision. Also, take time to listen to your inner peace. The more you sit still and listen to the still small voice, the more clear it will be. Do not pay attention to your egoic rantings that happen in the periphery of your mind. It will haunt you and cause you to feel insecure about yourself and your decisions. If you do not learn to listen to your higher self through contemplation and meditation, then you'll be buffeted around and make irrational decisions. You will do more good for the majority of mankind as you take a role to lead rather than to follow. You are to learn that you should not go looking for fights. Fight only when necessary because people must have the ability to live and love unhindered by the machinations of the people at the top. Do not lose touch with this purpose. That is the reason for the statement. I do not believe that you will be going off to war or that there will be some dark timeline. But now you are going to rebuild the new world through building a commercial system that is fair and allows people to become sovereign individuals. This will repay a karmic debt that you have from a past life when you lost a war that would throw people into the current system of patriarchy and oppression. Do not worry, you did not do anything explicitly bad, but rather this was a path that people chose and you agreed to play that role so that people could play the path and experience what they want to experience. And that is part of leadership. Remember, now is a time for dying and rebirth. Look at your son. How happy is he when he wakes up in the morning and sees the face of his dad? You will be that boy when you let go of being a cranky baby in need of sleep. Let go. Listen to your higher self. Take time to recharge, but then go back to work refreshed and knowing that you are on the right path. I'm an insane sexual shadow witch, and my name is Lacey Free, and I'm the fucking host of Horpod. Welcome 
to Horapod. Thank you for being here, the wonderful, the great Carlos. We've done a Patreon episode or two together, but this is your first Horapod episode. Tell the world who you are. Well, I'm glad to have graduated to the main podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. my name is Carlos, and um, I am a, well, we said the last time, a reformed finance bro with Indigenous Magic, who is, uh, <laughs> through the help of my wonderful friend, uh, Lacey, and a series of life-changing readings that she gave me, um, finding out just how powerful and magical that I am. Uh, so thank you for that. And Uh, This has been quite an interesting year for me to sort of transition into, I wouldn't say a new life, but just a new perspective on life that allows me to take a lot of the things that I was doing in the old world, um, you know, having worked in finance for the last 10 years uh, to what I think is sort of a rebirth of a new world. It's been like two years since we did the first reading, hasn't it? Almost two years. Oh God, yeah. Like at the very beginning, I remember I I I, I listened to a uh, a podcast with you. I can't even remember who. Somebody it doesn't matter. Um, and then I booked a reading immediately after, and then that was like just at the very beginning of of COVID. So yeah. we'll call it like February or March of 2020. So it's been a while. I remember specifically, and I said this in our Patreon episode, but I'll never forget it. I remember I I'm so grateful for certain readings I get because your magic was evident and oozing. And I felt so privileged to even be talking with you. And I still remember the imagery you created vividly. And it was you riding the subway in New York City to Wall Street, right? You were going to a Wall Street job? Um, well, I, yeah, it was, it was the opposite. I, I live on Wall Street and then I'm oh, okay. going, m- most of the banks have moved to Times Square. So I was going up to Times Square, sitting on the subway train. Um, and I'm, I'm going and I, I work, I work in financial markets. So I start my day really early and it's like six o'clock in the morning. I'm on the subway, the car is kind of empty. And I didn't know what to listen to that day. So I just put my Spotify playlist on random and my little brother had sent me this song by uh, a group called a tribe called red called electric powwow. And I, I just remember sitting there in that train and hearing like the combination of the electric music, and the drums beating, which is very primal. And I think it awoke this sort of ancestral magic inside of me. And I think I, I just cleared so many blockages. I had such an emotional response. And to everyone else, I'd probably just look like a crazy person who was bawling on the subway. But it was really amazing because I both felt <clears throat> love and joy, but also a lot of rage for the, the, I guess the situation that I had found myself in, sort of being an indigenous person who had spent their entire life being white passing and doing all of the bona fide things that you need to do to be a respectable member of you know society, including going down the educational path and you know getting a job at an investment bank and having a CV that made my parents really proud, but then realizing that I was extremely unhappy in that 
and then to a degree, I felt like I was being disingenuous with my true self. Do you feel connected to your indigenous magic now? And what does that look like? Yeah, I think it's, and I think a lot of people um, of color can probably identify with this where um, I, I grew up in an environment, you know, in Nebraska in the 90s, where um, cultural tolerance wasn't something that was widely accepted. And so in order for me to fit in and to have friends and to date the girls that I wanted to date, I had to kind of, kind of fit into this role. And so I, I wasn't really born with uh, a really high degree of like cultural ties to the Native American community. So my, my dad works on the reservation. Um, he's an attorney there. I've gone back for like powwows and stuff like that in the past, but like, I just, it just never really like resonated with me. And so it was like the furthest thing from my mind. And there was always this joke of like me being the you know whitest brown person that you've ever met. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. It's totally cool. And, um, and now I'm going back and, and, and I'm, I'm teaching myself if that makes any sense. Um, you know, indigenous magic and what exactly that means to me. And I don't want to be disrespectful of people who are practicing indigenous magic or indigenous ceremonies of, of some sort that have been passed down, you know, by their elders through their lineage. But for me, that wasn't an option. So I've, I've had to find that through my own personal contemplation, through my own meditation, through things that have been giving to me. Um, and, and that's kind of where, that's where I sit right now. Yeah. I love that the image of you on the subway listening to a tribe call red, that was the last concert I saw before the apocalypse. So it was, it felt like such a synchronicity to me. You're way into magic now. You're, you're woo off the deep end in a lot of ways. (laughs) And I absolutely love it. Um, Even a few weeks ago, I was feeling I think we all go through phases where we don't feel as connected to our own magic or our own ritual. And I was really feeling that. And I was talking to my guides and they were like, call Carlos. And I'm like, Carlos, this might be weird, but I felt like I had to call on you. And I was kind of freaking out a little bit and feeling a lot of collective pain around money and the dollar and the death of the dollar. And you read me that free writing that you just shared. And you showed this imagery of people hanging on to this piece of wood in the ocean or a storm and frantically holding on to this old part of themselves or parts of themselves that need to die. And you just helped me a lot by reminding me that we can collectively jump timelines. And you talked to me about how you felt like you jumped a timeline. Do you want to share some of that? Yeah, I think, so this is actually something that's been happening to me a lot. And I think So I use the term higher self because that's just what resonates with me the most. My higher self knows that I'm an idiot and he needs to like tell me things explicitly. So I remember the first time this happened to me, I was lying in bed and he was like, hey, dude, you just jumped a timeline. That is dead. And um, actually, I will never remember this because I I, I watch football, obviously, because I'm a, a finance bro. Um, but the day before I had watched a football game 
And I remember explicitly that there's this player that I really liked in college and it was his first game. Um, and uh, they won that game by three points. And I swear to God, they won that game by three points. And I went back and I checked the scores on my phone the day after and they had tied the game. And I was like, holy fucking shit. <clears throat> like, absolutely crazy. And this is like, I could just have been crazy, but I swear to God that there was this actual timeline jump. And this was just a residual thing that changed. And that's happened to me several times. And the specific time that we talked was the day after I had this reading. And I took my wife out to um, a nice dinner because it was her birthday. And um, on the ride home, if you remember, it was like that Superstorm Ida or Hurricane Ida. And it was just like pouring. The streets were super like crazy. And, you know, we're heading back to our house. And I remember at night waking up around 3 a.m. And once again, having this thing, it was like that time I died. And it needed to die because you were going down a dark path. And for me, sometime around September 1st was when that that path of, of death. And for me, I think my intuition is that it involved very much around sort of the method that the old world is choosing to die. And my personal view is that that timeline shifted from one of being chaos and disorder towards a little bit more of a gentler death, but a death nonetheless. It feels like the current energy is that it's, it's a timeline that needed to die, but we can be hopeful about the future, even if shit gets fucked up in the interim. Yeah. After you had told me that, it really resonated. You were like, I died last night. And the night you died, like you said, the hurricanes were happening in New Orleans, flooding in New York, New Jersey. And I did a live the next day and I kind of talked about how I talked with you and you talked about a collective timeline jump and a collective death and that we were going to do this episode. And all these people in the comments were like, I died then too. I died then too. And I've since gotten several emails of people telling me that they died that Wednesday or Thursday night during Hurricane Ida. What date is your wife's birthday? So we have a reference. It's September 1st. Okay, so it was the first. So, so Wednesday, Wednesday, September 1st was the date. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so many people told me they died that day. And before September 1st, I was feeling such big, dark energy to the point where I almost felt frantic, like that I needed to go door to door and shake people and wake them up or buy land and just start gathering community right now because it felt like the rest of the world was going to crash around us and that I needed to get us to like a safe island, which is such weird saver man mentality. And I hate that I'm even saying this out loud, but it was just organically this frantic energy that I was having that shit was about to go down. And then after that collective jump, I felt so much more at ease. Not that there isn't going to be an extreme darkness, and I still truly believe we're in a spiritual warfare right now, and that every time a god wakes up, the Matrix sort of reacts and tries to fight back. I still think that's all happening, but it feels much more easeful, graceful. It feels like a shift of consciousness has happened, and that we'll be flowing together 
in a unified way more i hope i i completely agree um that's a lot of what has been given to me and i think you know even if i think about you know recent uh we'll call them readings that i've given myself a lot of it has been centered around taking the time to play and so for example like today um i was just I was meditating and trying to get myself in a, like a right headspace and I just had this like really fun, cool vision. And I think I tend to be super serious when I'm meditating and I'm like, I got to get something done, which is like super old world shitty. I was really trying to say, listen, guys, just take time to play, just enjoy. And there was just this lightness that kind of came over me. And, and, and that was sort of the energy that was like, listen, it's, it's okay to take time and recharge and be light. Yes. And I remember the first time I really learned that play is part of magic and that play is almost essential for magic in many ways. Then the obvious way is it it awakens your inner child and creates a connection with your inner child and your younger self. But then there's also a part of play that oftentimes it breaks up stagnation. On an energetic level, play breaks up stagnation. But also on a physical level, usually when we play, we're moving around or having an adventure or going to a new environment. So play is very much connected to creativity. And all creators have to make space for playtime. And I think creators are also magicians so anyone doing magic feels so essential to also create time for play so i love that you're saying that yeah i think that's just the the old world the old sort of way of thinking where we we constantly feel like we have to to do something it reminds me a little bit of like this old sort of analogy that we had in like business school there's a term called sharpening the saw and there's this um you know, like story of two lumberjacks and one of them is cutting down a tree frantically. And, uh, and the other one's like, Hey, did you notice like your, your blade is dull? You should just stop and sharpen that. And he's like, no, I have no time to sharpen this because I got to get this tree down. And if he would have just stopped to sharpen his saw a little bit, he would have been significantly more effective. And I think so many of us are running, particularly over the pandemic when, you know, People are struggling and thinking about money and thinking about all sorts of different new stresses that the matrix has added to our lives. We're sitting here thinking perpetually of like, all right, well, what do I need to get done to survive? And when you don't play, you're kind of running around with a, a, a dull saw trying to shot, you know, cut down a very large tree and nothing really gets done. So for me, that's just been like a huge message that I needed to hear personally. Yeah. And I think we have trauma around play. Like I remember being younger and it's like, you can't play unless your room is clean or the dishes are done. And that's like best case scenario, you know? And some people have some darker images and memories and timelines around play. But I see it in my peers. They're like, I want to play, but I can't do it until I get this done or that done. And it's this like grinding pressure. And I think it's it's voices from our past because of the matrix our parents were living in. They couldn't just free form and play with us. Like millennial kids, I don't think you know, if you're raised by boomers, you weren't played with a lot. 
Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I grew up in Nebraska in the 90s. My my grandfather never hugged me. Like, I remember the first time I went to go give my grandfather a hug. He was like, no, men don't hug. We shake hands. And 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 I'm not, I'm not saying that because, like, that's the worst trauma that a kid could have. But it's just sort of, like, reminiscent of, like, what you grow up when you, you know, in a certain era, in a certain time, you know, that was just sort of the thing. Like, you know, grow up, be a man, you know, do all this sort of stuff. Playing is for babies. You know, get work done, get good grades, play sports, you know, all this sort of stuff that we end up chasing. And then we wonder why we're deeply, deeply, deeply unfulfilled. Yeah. And I think hugs, they sound so simplistic, but there's a lot of trauma connected to not being hugged or being hugged in an uncomfortable way. A hugging is the meeting of the hearts, you know? You can read so much energy from hugging someone. I used to get made fun of a lot when I was younger because I didn't know how to hug people. And I didn't realize, and my uncles would laugh at me and call me a goat. And I didn't realize I would bend my head down and go head first. I'm hitting my microphone trying to show you right now, but I would bend my head down and go head first into the hug, especially with men, because I was afraid to like be open and have my heart space open, to have my throat open, to even make eye contact while going into the hug. When we hold our head down, it's a symbol of shame, of hiding, but in a a deeper root, it's protecting the heart chakra, protecting the throat chakra. And I didn't feel safe fucking hugging anyone. And I still have to like work on it. So I'm not such an awkward goat hugger. Do you feel like there was any magic in finance, like occult magic or dark magic being used? Um, yes and no. So if we think about finance, there's really sort of like in my, my view, there, there's two levels of it. So most of the kids that you think about, like, you know, they went to Harvard or, and, and then they got a job at Goldman Sachs and, you know, like just followed the typical career path of a guy working. It's mostly just because they're narcissist assholes. And they, <laughs> they, I'm dead serious. Like it's an industry that just gets a lot of narcissists. And I think that there's some subconscious magic in the sense that if you know whether it's intentional or not, how to sort of pull people through sort of an intention of will to do things that you want, you can succeed in finance because it's just numbers. It's just random numbers moving around. And it's absolutely perfect for people who have the ability, whether it's intentional or unintentional, to be able to actually change and alter the timeline based on the way that they view it. And I've actually done it personally. I, I think probably the, the first unintentional lessons around manifesting that I ever um, witnessed and sort of pre-woke me up to my own magic was, for example, things like writing down my, my career goals in a notebook and then watching them happen like in lockstep with what I wanted. And it was extremely specific or realizing that my mood in the morning could actually affect the profitability of my trading strategy that day. Like I, I found that I could wake up in the morning and I knew when I was going to lose money or I knew when I was going to have a big day. And I thought that it was just like skill or some sort of subconscious thing. But now I, I know that's, that's pure magic. And so I think there's a lot of latent magic in finance. 
And then I think at the higher level, when it, when it gets to the point where it's, because most people that are my level in finance, are, I'm going to call ourselves just like, you know, glorified wage slaves. Like we have a slightly higher wage than most people, but we're just kind of doing our thing intentionally or unintentionally. And I think at the higher levels, um, absolutely, that there's at, there's magic going on. Particularly when you think about some of like the really notable like hedge fund billionaires and stuff like that. I think all of them practice and many of them will like secretly allude to the fact that they have a meditation practice or something along those lines, right? Where they are, you know, wh whether it's explicitly called magic, they know and they've tapped into the fact that uh, when you're dealing in a lot of like high finance stuff, there's luck and there's skill and there's magic and they've learned to tap into that magic. Yeah. I definitely feel like they're tapping into it, especially this energy around the 1%. I think they're, I'm full balls out conspiracy with this shit. I think <laughs> they're meeting in the woods, doing some sacrifices, crazy occult magic. If you even just look at the history of banking, right. And like, um, there's a fine line between a conspiracy theory and documented history and, you know, documented history would tell you if you ever actually just look up like the Rothschild banking family and you looked up uh, their relationship to the crown of England and their relationship to JP Morgan and their relationship to the founding of the bank of England and the federal reserve bank of the United States. The only thing that really is missing from documented history is a clear map of whatever magic ritual they were doing. Um, but there's a very clear connection in even just mainstream history that talks about really how corrupt and dynastic a lot of these financial institutions are from top to bottom. And we like to sit around and be like, oh, there's JP Morgan, there's Bank of America, there's Wells Fargo. They're all very innocent companies. Like they're not very innocent companies. They're owned by the same people. And these people all have connections to the same sort of banking lineage that's existed for centuries. So, I mean, not to get super, you know, conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat. And if my employer is listening, you know, go team. But <laughs> I doubt your employer is listening to Horpa. <laughs> you never know. Give True. yourself more credit than that. True. <laughs> My head is in multiple places right now because I want to talk to you more about this magic around money. Even the dollar has like magic symbols on it. And you talked about cryptocurrency and this, what the Ethereum is. So I want to talk to you about that. But I have to say, ever since you mentioned your guides being your higher self I've been having, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm like rubbing my nose like crazy. I've been having all these tingles around my face and feeling different spirits. And that didn't come in until you were talking about like your guides or your higher self. And I don't know what I'm supposed to say about that. Maybe, do you want to talk about magic around your grandma at all? I said that and then I felt whoo, tingles again or um, I don't know. Yeah. We can also take this. So because I don't know what's happening. No, no, um, I, I like it. I, it, it's like improv comedy. I always say yes and just <laughs> go into it. Right. <laughs> Have you done improv um, comedy? So 
I've, I've taken, like, that's the crazy thing. Business school co-ops everything that's good and funny about life. So it's like, oh, do this improv comedy class because it will teach you about, you know, presence and how to behave in a boardroom. But I've never done improv comedy because I'm not that funny. Um, but that being said, I have taken a class and I know the principle of just saying yes. Um, <laughs> I, I think it teaches you so much about the world. I was in improv classes for seven years of my life. Oh, so you're much better than I am. You're, you're like, all right, Carlos, you're talking kindergarten right here. <laughs> no, I welcome love to, it. Welcome, welcome to my level. <laughs> um, but yeah, going going back to my grandma. So my grandmother was the um, last medicine woman of uh, of our tribe, and there was a. Uh, sort of in, in our tribal, in a religion, it's, it's very, so I, I grew up with the part of the Omaha tribe of Nebraska and it's very similar uh, to like the Lakota Sioux. Uh, a lot of the church, the plains people have the same sort of like origin story where the tribe originated in like the Missouri river Delta around like the St. Louis area. And there was some sort of event that caused them to disperse. And so they moved, um, they moved up the uh, Missouri river and so the uh, Omaha tribe means like uh, against the current. So the people that went against the current to go to their new home. Mm -hmm. And when they were in that home, uh, or as they were going in boats, they had stones. And those stones were touched by the great spirit to give them light as they were traveling. And uh, there is an order in my tribe that is effectively like the, the order of the stone. And their role was to sort of be the magic keeper of the tribe. And so when, obviously, when we say medicine woman, like I always thought as a kid that that medicine woman meant like, you know, she went around with a little first aid kit and gave people, you know, band-aids and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, obviously for them, medicine was a uh, much more holistic practice, we'll say. And when, when my dad was younger, my, my great-grandmother, um, who was the last living member of this order, went to him with her medicine bag and said, you need to take this. And he turned her down because my dad was Mormon and they're like hallucinogens and other sort of like stuff in his words that you just don't want to fuck with. And... So he turned it down and in multiple dreams, I've actually had, so for example, I had a native man come to me and this was like, just as I was waking up and he was like, you need to tell your dad that he fucked up and he was really angry. I was like, I don't know who you are. Get out of my dream. So he left. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until I asked my dad recently, cause I was, I was having energy work done. Like speaking of going full off the woo deep end, um, I, I had gone to an, a Reiki practitioner and she was doing energy work on me. And I was sitting there in a bed and holding a shitload of crystals and the light started flickering and my grandmother came to me. She appeared to me um, and she since appeared to me in a number of dreams, but in like a different alien form because my grandmother was an alien. Um but she appeared to me and she, she wrapped me up in, in like this warm cocoon of just love and said, enjoy this because 
from here on out, you're my warrior and you have unfinished business that you need to take care of for our tribe and for our people. But don't worry, I have you. Whoa. So she's, she's definitely like, I'd never met her. Well, see, let me take that back. I met her once or twice as a very small child, but she died before I was like five. When I say like, she definitely is a guide for me. It's definitely part of my sort of ancestral magic and lineage. I personally feel that was meant to be passed on to me through my dad, but that my dad cut that cord. And now um, it's my role to bring it back up. But because it was never physically passed on, right, that cord needs to be reforged in a spiritual way. Yeah. Wow. That is such a beautiful story. What do you feel like the energy, she told you that you're her warrior now. What does that mean to you? It means to me that there are a lot of institutions in the United States that we view as sort of venerated things like, you know, our founding fathers, the U.S. Constitution, the banking industry, all this sort of stuff that has been there and that we look at being these fantastic events in the course of our history, but really are just signs of oppression, genocide, slavery. And Native Americans are only a portion of the people that were touched by them. And I think part of my life's work is to watch those motherfuckers burn to the ground Um so that's part of what I think is what I was put on this earth to do. And that's one of the reasons why I felt so much rage in the subway. Because I remember thinking to myself, listen, I spent so many years doing the right things, right? And I I went to an Ivy League school. I got a job at a bank and then was like living in this great apartment in New York City. And by every measure, I had made it. And I remember to myself, yeah, your reward for doing everything correct is to be an employee of a institution whose primary function is to shut your people out of prosperity and abundance. And make no mistake, the U.S. system of capitalism has full-on destroyed my people. And to me, it felt super disingenuous for me to be there. And ever since, I was just like, I can't. I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. What do you feel like the solution to that is or the alternative to being there? So there's a couple of things. I think um, there's a shift in my mind about, I used to feel like we needed to be respectful of that which other people held sacred. So in my mind that like the two biggest culprits of that were sort of this ingrained capitalism that people have. And then the second is sort of orthodox religion, particularly Christianity, where the goal was to say like kill the savage, save the man, right? They would take native children and move them to these mission schools. And now they're finding that, you know, hundreds of unmarked graves existed at these schools because if a native American children dies, like, ah, fuck it, just throw them in the back. Right. There's a part of me that was like, let me be respectful to my friends and to my family that are doing these things, but I can still hold space and just know that that's not for me. 
And part of this is sort of like coming out and saying, actually, no, like, I think that there's no way that you can possibly be a Christian and still accept tolerance and love and knowing full well that these institutions, not Christ consciousness, not the ability to believe in the teachings of Christ and love and those sorts of things. I'm talking about physically the institutions that took children and destroyed families and perpetuated mass genocide. Those all need to go. Um, I think that just means taking back our power and realizing that like that God does not exist outside of us. Um, and then part of that is also just destroying capitalism, which I think, you know, if you want a barometer of sort of the progression of the new world, right, look at the price of Ethereum or Bitcoin, because that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to dismantle capitalism. And that's pretty exciting to me, too. Um, so you're saying that cryptocurrency is going to dismantle capitalism. I think it's going to be part of what dismantles capitalism. Yeah. Right? It's the infrastructure that's needed to get that done. Right. Because it's it's taking away the power of a closed group of individuals who control the matrix um, and allowing that to live on a decentralized system of money. So I don't think it's explicitly like Bitcoin's the answer. It's going to solve the whole universe's problem, but it's a fundamental piece of the infrastructure that will allow us to get there. Yes. So to people who say it's the same thing as money, it's the same thing, it's the same destructive force, what do you say to that? Any tool can be used in a destructive way, right? It's really up to us how we choose to use it. But I think given the alternative, it's certainly better than a system of money like the US dollar, which is predicated on violence, genocide, military power, Right. If, and I'm a firm believer that what backs the value of U.S. dollar is really violence. Right. It's the fact that the U.S. military, if you fuck with us, we will go to your country and we will bomb it and we will do bad things. And if you don't want to use dollars to buy the stuff that you need, well, then we will go in and you will, we will depose your leaders and we'll find people that will do that in order for us to maintain sort of control over the world monetary system. So not to get like super technical about economics, but if you think about it, you know, <laughs> the dollar is really a financial weapon. And yeah. so if we give and that too much power. weapon. Yeah. 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 So I, I think the, the more we collectively decide, you know, to unplug from that matrix, right, the less power we give it and the easier it is to walk away. And I feel like one of the things energetically that we see, and, and I follow a lot of financial news, is sort of like there's this underpinning of world central bankers are sort of flailing right now because they're in uncharted territory. They have no idea what they're doing, right? It's the state of the world right now is as such that they don't really have a way out. And we're so very, very, very close to it crumbling. Yeah. I love being on Twitter and watching these like old bankers freak the fuck out <laughs> how bad cryptocurrency is that's only used for the black market or human trafficking or these, you know, they're trying to use fear to scare us out of cryptocurrency. Yeah. And I can, you know, read their energy and I can read the energy of cryptocurrency. Not that I'm great with finance or even money magic, but I trust 
the energy I read. And to me, cryptocurrency truly does feel revolutionary. And I love reading the energy of bankers and old white men in finance, just watching them <laughs> flail and trying to come up with these excuses to freak us out about it. We did an episode on the Patreon called Crypto is Alien. So check that out if you want to know more about it. But can you just like sort of briefly tell us sort of the magic of cryptocurrency and why you think it's alien? Yeah, so the, the, part of it is just straight up what my guides and higher self have told me. Um, I, I remember distinctly uh, sitting in meditation and I don't often hear voices, but this was definitely one where I heard a voice, which is basically like, you know, this is alien technology sent to us to ensure uh, that the new world comes in in a timely manner. And there's just little, little bits of bits and pieces that, that, uh, that come in. So I, I was telling you on the Patreon, like if you even just look at like the symbol of, like if you just Google the logo of Ethereum, and it's like pyramids. It's like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And if you listen to any of like the podcasts, which I do, I follow a lot of these guys. And, and like, obviously, there's going to be some crypto bros that are hanging out there, like behaving like idiots. But but if you if you actually follow the people, like particularly particularly like Vitalik Buterin, I think is one. He's the, one of the founders of Ethereum. Um, look at that dude and tell me he's not an alien. Like listen to his writings and his speech and tell me that he's not an alien um, because the guy's on the level. The guy is really doing some amazing stuff, and I think that you know you can you can tell by his actions the things that it is. It's not motivated by greed, right? Vitalik Buterin is not motivated by wanting to be the world's most richest human being, right? It is purely motivated by just doing things that I think are good for humanity. And so that that's something that I can very much get behind. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, explicitly, I personally believe because it was told to me that it is um, alien technology. If you doubt it, then obviously spend time thinking about it yourself because that, you know, never trust a crazy person on a podcast who says, <laughs> you know, my spirit guides told me that cryptocurrency <laughs> is alien technology. But yeah, that's what it fucking is. So <laughs> yeah, and it was created by um, an anonymous person, right? And nobody knows who that person is, and it just feels magical. Yeah, I think that's part of the power, right? Like, it's not like it's you know Apple or Google where there's like a face of a guy that becomes the world's richest person, right? Right. right. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of people working on open source things to create something that's really nice. Now, obviously, a lot of people have gotten wealthy from it, and there are, certainly are crypto billionaires, and that's fantastic. Um, but I think just the whole ethos of it makes me think that it's a slightly better thing for the world than the traditional dollar. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to try to explain this, but I don't know if I can make it make sense. I've been going balls deep into the metaphor of living in a hologram or that we are holographic expressions. I don't necessarily 
think that we are an image of light projected from a denser reality, but I think that is a beautiful metaphor for how I see the energy field and who we are collectively. And the energy around the hologram is that we are all one coming from this denser reality. And in this denser reality, there are waves of consciousness that are embedded into this denser reality. And as I was reading it and channeling this denser reality, some call it like a deep ocean, um, the energy around holographic healing is that you can take someone's energy field, read their energy field, and go back to their past timelines or their denser reality and change or rearrange the information or the code in the denser reality. And by rearranging the code, you're then changing the projection, the light projection. You're then changing the hologram. So I do this in my holographic healing sessions where I connect to someone and I see them as like a light being, but scan for their blocks. And the blocks are just areas in the energy field that the light is getting blocked out or can't be fully absorbed. And how you kind of clear a block is going so deep into the feeling of the block that you can go into this denser reality and rearrange the information. So if someone has a block and it's showing up when I'm reading their energy field that they were abused when they were five, well, we can go back to the timeline when they were five into this denser reality and we can leave synchronicities or gifts or information that changes their perception. So the whole idea of the metaphor of us being a hologram is that our reality is connected to our perception and that we get our perception through the information in this denser reality. And our reality, our perception can get hijacked. So the media can come in and be like, you need to be really scared about this war or you need to be scared of cryptocurrency. And then our perception gets hijacked. So then our reality or our hologram starts changing really fast. I'm saying all of this to say that I keep thinking of what is this denser sort of ocean reality that we're all connected to that has this code that affects the projection. And every time I think of this denser reality, I think of blockchain and how you can put code on it that sort of stays forever. And I don't know if any of that makes sense, but there feels like this connection to blockchain and to this metaphor of us living a holographic experience. It's okay if none of that makes sense. No, it, it weirdly, it does. And I don't <laughs> say that in like a bad way. I'm saying it's like <laughs> uh, a year ago, I'd have been like, you're fucking crazy, Lacey. But no, <laughs> I am like, crazy. Yeah, that makes total, makes, makes total sense to me. Uh, no, but it's, so this is one of the things that I think is really powerful about cryptocurrency in general, which is that all of the information on there is immutable or unchangeable and it's compressed down to a very small amount of data such that every node on the network has access to 
all data in real time. And that's actually one of the coolest things if you kind of think about it, because it's a bit of a microcosm of like quantum physics, right? Where you have this, this concept of every node in the network. And if you think of ourselves as node on the nodes of the network, you know, have access to all of the information of the blockchain, right? Simultaneously, then that's actually such a powerful thing to think yes. about. That's you said it way better than me, but I feel like we're all like this node and have access to all the information. And like quantum physics says, we're not perceiving 99.9% of everything. We're sensing so much on a subconscious level, but only using our five senses. And somehow, some way this ties into cryptocurrency and I'll make it make more sense as I understand it better. Well, so that's, I think that's one of the cool things about it. Um, and, And this is one of the things that I think is like, really powerful when we think about what I was talking about earlier, like our higher selves and being able to tap into tap into knowledge and, and, the, and the importance of play, right? Because the more you get caught in your, whatever's happening in your own sort of microcosm, the more it distracts you from being able to, to get into that underlying source of infinite wisdom that we all have, have access yes. to because we're all part of the one infinite creator. Yeah. Um, and so Saying that you're a god isn't saying that, you know, you're some deity that people worship, but it's really just saying I am one and the same and I have access to this undercurrent of all universal information Yeah, because I am a node in a network that is maintained by that energy. Yeah. Um, and if you don't play or if you don't find a way to cut through the ego – Right. And whatever that may be, like that, that spiritual practice might be something different for everybody. Right. But if you don't have the ability to cut through that, then you lose the ability to tap into this beautiful and amazing source of energy and, and emotion and, and, and love that sort of connects us all. And there's actually one thing. Can I, can I share with you one, one thing that, that came to me that's connected that when you started talking, I was thinking about that. And I'm, I'm going to read you a little bit of something that I had like kind of channeled earlier your goal to own land is a good goal. Uh, The goal of these properties will be to hold space and allow you and your loved ones and your followers to connect with the earth. It's so important that we take time to connect with the earth right now. Walk barefoot and observe the trees. The trees in your surrounding area are dancing when they see you because it is your love and light that is healing them and bringing the trees back to life for too long. The trees and the plants have been adornments of the humans that have lived in their proximity, and we have not listened. You will have the ability to talk to the trees and interact with them in a meaningful way. You are a healer of the earth. Wherever you go, it is your calling to interact with the earth and transmute its pain and bring it back to the point where it can be unified with the one. That's so beautiful. That's so, so beautiful. I'm like, thank you for channeling that for me. (laughs) Do you feel connected to earth magic, like on a personal level? Do you do earth magic? Um, No, but I recently moved from New York City out to to Connecticut. Um, We just had our first son and I wanted to sort of leave the city for a little bit. And what's interesting about that is maybe about, I don't know, nine months 
or so ago. I was meditating and doing this automatic writing. And one of the messages that came to me was, be prepared to leave the city. Like when you get an opportunity, you'll know and be prepared to leave the city. And when we first had our son, we had planned on coming out to Connecticut to live with my mother-in-law for just like a week or two, you know, because my, my wife wanted to be out here versus in the city and have her mother around. And so that was perfect. And then sort of a series of events came up and we we're like, well, do you just want to let our apartment expire in New York and just stay in Connecticut full time? I jumped at that. And I, I really do believe part of why I'm here is to sort of connect with the earth a bit more and take the opportunity to step away and unplug from that. That's definitely a personal calling that I felt in my life. If that's sort of a, if that's a thing that other people in the collective are feeling, then, you know, I, you know, feel free to resonate with that. But for me, it's definitely been a pull for me. Yeah. And I feel like getting land is going to be harder. Bill Gates is buying up a bunch of land. I don't know. I just feel so frantic. I just want everyone to buy land right now and nourish their land and feel nourished by it. Yeah, because I think I think for me part of part of this timeline and part of this this energy that I'm feeling is very much about realizing that we've done a lot of damage to the earth. Yeah. And we've been called to sort of live a smaller footprint with those that we love rather than just consuming for the sake of consuming. Yes. Um, is there what is that noise in the background? Oh, sorry, that is um uh, it's a parrot that my mother-in-law owns that hates me and tries to attack me on the regular basis. That's really funny. I was to figure out what that is. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My um, bad. No, it's fine. I was just I couldn't place what that was. Um, do you feel like people can um, choose to jump timelines or exit timelines or start a new timeline yeah a thousand percent and that's the great thing about it is like we're all sort of this like really fucked up when i say fucked up meaning like extremely complex but yet very simple um network of people and all of us are sort of the creators of our own universe and there are infinite number of branches and permutations of this particular universe that we inhabit. Yeah. I don't know exactly how it works or where they all go. And like, are you a part of my timeline or am I projecting you onto this timeline? And maybe you're projecting me onto a different timeline. Great. I don't fucking know. But I do know that I personally have the ability to control my timeline. I personally have the ability to dictate what happens to me in this life. And I think that everyone has that ability. When you free write, what is that energetically to you? Because people will ask me how to tap into the ability to free write. How do you do it? And what do you feel like that energy is? Yeah. So my process is that I meditate. I've got an app that has sort of like, you know, these like binaural beat sort of meditation things. I don't think that's necessarily part of it, but it's just something that I like. Helps me get to a more meditative state. What's the app? Um, it's called Sync Tuition. I meditate for 20 to 30 minutes. And then what I do is I keep open my laptop. And what I like to do is queue up a document that's sitting right in front of me 
so that my conscious mind doesn't have the ability to kick in once I get done meditating. And I close my eyes, I sit, and I type frantically. And so, like, it's hard for me to read them back because there's just so many typos and misspellings because I'm, I'm literally typing at, like, 3x the normal speed that I would normally type at and just getting stuff out. And then I stop as soon as I start to feel like it's my own conscious mind coming in and dictating the narrative rather than my higher self. So for me, I, I, I know it's my higher self that's that I'm channeling, um, or it's a very tricky entity that's convinced me it's my higher, higher self, but either way it's telling me good stuff. So I'm going to go with it. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, kind of what it is. It's very simple for me. That's awesome. You said you knew your grandma was an alien. Will you describe what you mean by that? And in one of our episodes, you talked about like first nations people that they were kind of the first to talk about like galactic sky magic in connection with earth magic. Will you talk about that too a little bit? Yeah, I guess I'll start with the second question and then go into the, the first. The Omaha tribe, and this is not unique. I think everyone has a, sort of a different variant. But the Omaha tribe, um, we had what's called the Great Circle. And the Great Circle was the way that we had um, ordered the tents when we set up camp. And there were two classes of clans, um, or rather like family groupings, um, that you do, they sort of grouped out all the tents by. And the southern portion of the circle was always the earth people. Uh, and their job was to look after the sort of temporal well-being of the tribe. Things like war, hunting, farming, all that sort of stuff were all sort of owned by that, that group of people. And then there was also the sky people. So the northern bit of that was uh, the sky people. And... Um, their job was to look after the spiritual well-being of the tribe. And if you think of the origins or a, a lot of um, a lot of a lot of native tribes, if you listen to their origin stories and you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper because a lot of the origin stories and a lot of the Native American spirituality you hear about now is actually sort of like it's almost like calling Domino's pizza Italian food. Um, it's a spin on native culture after it had gone through the filter of being colonized by white Christians. So there's a little bit of like, oh yeah, let's mix in a little bit of Jesus with this, or let's mix in some imagery from the Bible. But if you, if you kind of look in the right places and talk to the right people, um, you know, I think a lot of that original story, a lot of that original magic is very independent. And a lot of those traditions mention sort of a galactic ancestry like it's not a crazy thing if you were to be like oh our people came from the stars right our people came from like the serious star cluster like that's just you know par for the course it's what people know to be true and i think the second time that my grandmother appeared to me was actually in a dream and uh, on this dream i was on a spaceship um and 
I was, I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but I was doing something that I was ashamed of. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be prude or I just remember I was, I was mistreating someone and doing something that I was ashamed of, but I don't know the exact circumstances because the exact circumstances got overshadowed by the fact that I distinctly remember in this dream, like looking up and sort of like on the deck, my grandmother, and I knew her to be my grandmother intuitively, um, was showing up on, on the deck of this like ship and she was like dressed in all white and she had kind of had a hood on and um was sort of like a shorter looking humanoid alien type of person um but she she got off the ship and there was like thousands of people on this like deck of the ship and walked straight over to me and i tried to hide from her she's like carlos should cut that shit right now come here and I remember just like calling, like getting called like a, like a child who had known like they had done something wrong and being like called over to their grandmother. Um, so I came over and she just looked at me and pulled her hood back. And I like just like stared really deeply at her eyes and then immediately woke up and my entire body was just vibrating just violently. And it scared me a little bit, but it was also, um, I don't know, interesting. I don't know. I hate using that term, but it was just, it was like a really shaking sort of experience for me. Um, and she since sort of appeared to me in dreams before, but that was one of the ones that I was like, oh shit. And that really woke me up to this concept of your ancestral lineage, your your magic is, is not just a group of people in the Plains region of the United States, but this has a, a galactic heritage that's much more far reaching. That's so beautiful. What do you feel like aliens are? Likely they're interdimensional beings that are ourselves on a different dimension or that have deep ties to ourselves in a different dimension rather than just being another source of carbon-based life form that exists a couple thousand light years away and has more advanced technology than us. I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. So a few months ago, I had this dream Well, I don't even know if it was a dream. There's been this energy coming forward for me where this like man voice wakes me up. And it's the first time where it literally sounds like a man is in the room with me. And it's a deep voice talking at me. And this deep voice woke me up and it's like lacy. And it showed me that the borders were going to be chaotic, that Everywhere there's a border in the U.S., we always hear about like the southern border with Mexico, but it was showing me every single border in the U.S. going into complete and utter chaos. And the voice showed me other borders in other countries and that the borders were just going to be flooded and that the globe is truly going to become a melting pot and that we haven't really lived in a melting pot before. You know, there are places like New York City where there are a lot of cultures. New York City is considered a melting pot. Some people say that about New Orleans. But I don't think it's fully a melting pot where we're truly embracing all cultures and living together. And it it showed me that that's what we're going to do, that there's going to no longer be countries 
that it's going to be one global government and people are going to try to escape their countries to go to better countries, but it's all going to sort of be the same no matter where you're at. And this is before the Afghanistan thing happened. And I felt like I saw the plane with all the people like rushing on it. And it's not, I'm not the first person to be like, oh, we're going into a global government. Conspiracy podcasts and theorists have been saying that for a while. And a lot of people speak negatively about blockchain because they say we're going into this one global government where we're going to have this like blockchain ID and we're going to constantly be tracked and there will be no autonomy. And that is weird to me because I see Uh, the blockchain and cryptocurrency as such a place of decentralization and autonomy. But I was really freaked out when this guide was showing me all this imagery of the borders. I was freaked out at first because I saw war and pain with it and that we would all sort of be at war with each other for a while. But then I saw this one global government. I saw the timeline of that being more of an alien government, that we're going to become a melting pot for a while, and then we are going to sort of have a better understanding of what the Galactic Federation is, and that there will be a timeline of an alien government within it. I don't know if that all just sounds nuts. I was like really scared to tell anyone at first. I think I told my patrons a little bit on a live, but I was like, oh, I see nuts. And then a few weeks later, the Afghanistan thing happened and I was like, oh, this is really happening. And I have never really even saw images of Haitian people crossing the border. And now that's sort of all over the media is this sort of chaos of Haitian people trying to come to America and how horrible like we're treating these people as U.S. citizens in our government. So I don't know. I just didn't know if you had any thoughts about this alien government or the blockchain and how it's connected. So let me go through that. When you said that to me, the thing that stuck out to me the most is that um, whatever happens is going to be temporary because ultimately we're all just going to decide that it's the same fucking thing. As, as a case in point, right? Let's say you grow up in like a really restrictive sort of household. That's some like weird religion where they tell you that drinking milk is bad. I don't know. I'm just creating something random. And then one day you realize, oh yeah, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to leave that religion. And so you sit down and you have your first glass of milk <clears throat> you're like, well, I know drinking milk isn't bad, but I still need to get over this programming that tells me that drinking milk is bad. And it's like a shock to your system, even if like it's something that you're not familiar with um, to do something to just have that part of your identity shift overnight. When we think about like transitioning to a new world, um, you know, ideas like being American, or being Haitian, or being Canadian. Like, that's part of our identity. And so those aren't going to break immediately. And the ties that we have with those types of relationships are not going to break immediately. We're going to have to find a way to grow into them. I am a firm believer that, uh, you know, blockchain will actually become a very critical part of a borderless, nationless government. Right, because it allows things to be done in a fair way without any one person 
owning sort of the means of production or, or the way that things get done. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that super resonates with me. I think that all of that kind of, you know, fits together, right? There's this, this concept of using technology and, and I think this is where I take some issue with conspiracy theorists and things like that, where it's like this one new world, new order and all this sort of stuff. Like it's all going to be bad or, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't know. I really don't know if it's going to be bad or good. I think we're going to have a choice whether or not we make it bad or good. And, uh, but I do think it's coming. I do think that there is going to be a world where the United States, as we know, it does not cease to exist. I love what you're saying about choice and that I feel like throughout the day, I jump on dark timelines and then hop on high vibrational timelines, just back and forth. Something that never resonated with me about people talking about the split is like, it sounded final, you know, like you're on this good timeline or this bad timeline, or you're plugged into the matrix or you're not. And it feels to me like actually we can bounce back and forth that we can go to our darkest timelines or visit the underworld. But Magical Dwarves, which, do you know that Magical Dwarves? I was reading about them recently, and the two cultures that would talk about the magic small people from the underworld were Native people and Celtic people of Ireland. So Native tribes in Wyoming and Montana were the first to, like, really talk about magical dwarves and they said they would come from the underworld and they would find people with wounds to help heal their wounds and that there's bones and skeletons of these like little dwarf people in Wyoming and Montana so I like want to visit those areas I think that's so cool and I have no idea what I was talking about oh though sometimes we're gonna visit the underworld in the darkness or the matrix to get codes to come back and elevate us to higher timelines. I don't know. But I like what you're saying is we don't know either. I Sometimes I feel like I should also just have a shirt of being like, I don't know. Part of my channel. <laughs> yeah, fuck me. I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like I know I'm talking for a living, but I also don't know. <laughs> so you should just know that I don't know, but that I trust myself. And I think about all of this is about empowering ourselves, like you were saying, and having that deeper trust. But that a lot of our theories, and people are so freaked out about science right now, trust science, believe science, arguing about science. But to me, also not a scientist, but to me, science is about play. It's about discovery. It's about theories. It's about checking out this hypothesis and, and discrediting it or, or presenting a new hypothesis. So even when I see myself as a spiritual person or getting downloads, like whatever I was just fucking babbling about with this hologram and the blockchain, <laughs> like I don't know if any of that makes sense and it's almost okay that it doesn't because I'm playing with a hypothesis. I'm playing with ideas. And I think so many of us are afraid to play with our own imagination and our own ideas that we get stuck spiritually. And I think our greatest downloads come from our imagination and play. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about experimentation. And so I think that if we segment the scientific method from science itself, or I'm going to call it like empiricism, then 
we get to a little bit better of a place. So as a case in point, I think if we embrace this method of let's experiment, let's test a hypothesis, let's see what happens and let's be open, right. To let our experience give us new insights that we previously weren't open to. then that's really fantastic. And you can use that method in pretty much anything. I think the problem that we have with science, the thing that I personally dislike about it is that you can get lost in empiricism, meaning if I cannot observe it using one of my five senses, then it does not exist. And that really just shuts you off to this world, right? And I was actually thinking about this yesterday when I was in the shower. I was thinking about like, you know, my entire life, I thought that spiritual insight I thought that like guidance and wisdom would come through one of my five senses. Like an alien was going to show up to me and I would be able to physically see it and physically hear it. Or I'd be praying and, you know, a God or an angel would physically, you know, say something to me. And I was sitting around and waiting for that the entire time. And then nothing happened. And then it's like, duh, like, they're not going to come and show themselves to you in a physical manifestation. Maybe they will, but likely not. All of my experiences where I've heard from my guides or my higher self or downloaded some great wisdom was from basically it's almost like a new sense, right? Like this, this intuitive knowing that you have that comes to you or this feeling that you get or learning to distinguish which thought is your thought versus the thought of, you know, um, you know, one of your guides and, and, when you learn that, it's like, oh, great. I was dealing with a world where I had five senses and now I fucking have 20. And if you limit yourself to the five, then you're done. You'll ne- you'll be stuck in a loop, you know? Yeah, that's so real. And something I keep feeling, which is maybe obvious, but something I keep feeling is reality isn't solid. I think we're taught to see reality as something solid matter. And it's so mutable. So... I just have this deep desire for all gods to get in a room together and play and like throw out ideas or theories or philosophy about what we think is happening right now. And part of just throwing out a theory of this is what I think is happening is a spell in itself. And I feel like for myself, I have to be careful of what theories I even put out into the ether because we all have the ability and the responsibility in a sense where we're affecting each other's perceptions. And it's not that we're necessarily responsible for others' perceptions, but I think on a deeper level, I think we don't tap into the fact that we are each other and really need to be taking care of each other right now. And I'm just going on some weird tangent, but I feel like part of spiritual bypassing is that we're not truly holding each other right now or making space for other people's play or theories. It's like proof and you're right and I'm wrong. If you remember when we talked uh, on the phone, like a week or two ago, you had talked about like, and hopefully you, you can edit this out if you want, if you don't feel comfortable. You had talked about how like, you know, you were playing around with the idea of pursuing something other than like podcasting or maybe like, you know, doing something else. And like, there's all sorts of roles for me in like a new world and maybe the universe is telling me I should go some other way. And I was like, fucking stop that shit, Lacey. Like you're, 
you are a beacon to the gods, right? The world doesn't exist without people like you who kind of are a light on the hill and allow people to find find dimensions of themselves that they didn't know existed previously. And so um, I'm really happy that you have an outlet and that you have a way to let people see their own light by shining yours. And um, yeah, anyway, that's that's my rant. That's so nice. I uh, need to just save that part and play it as a mantra for myself. So <laughs> thank you for that that sweetness. Um, yeah. After I talked to you, I was like, I'm not quitting my podcast, but it's still, it's a, it's a fine launch. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for it and the people who are a part of it. And I feel like I've got to talk to the coolest people like you and people I connect with on readings, but there is an energy of, uh, like how to survive in reality and how to make your art. And it's what artists have been struggling with since the beginning of time. But the cool thing about blockchain is there's also a way now to collect poetry and your poems can be like embedded on the blockchain. I just learned about ether poems and I'm like, not that that's going to like save me or even make me money. I just think it's so cool what the new world is coming up with. No, but I think like that in and of itself is a great symbol that basically says we have the ability to let creators create and be sovereign individuals that have the ability to own their creations. Yeah. And so like when you create a poem and now it's an immutable part of the blockchain that lives on forever and also it's attributed to your intelligence, your consciousness and, um, no one needs to act as an intermediary between you and being able to get the benefit of that creation. Like, that's really fucking cool. That's, that, to me, is one of the great things about blockchain and cryptocurrency, which is like you, you have now this ability to carve out a niche and support yourself with your creation. Yeah, so beautiful. And like the history of art, there's been all different kinds of art collectors, paintings, ceramics but it's very hard there's never been a technology or a system to be a collector of poetry poems sort of rot in books on shelves with dust and there can be beautiful art in there but we don't like see it necessarily so I love that but thank you for being here with me today it's so fun talking with you I'm so fucking thankful for your magic do you want people to find you or not I have a private Instagram account at CLZen. Um, you can, I, and I post pictures of chicken sandwiches and my baby on there. Um, but if anyone wants to reach out to me to talk or just share a message or, or inspirational thoughts, uh, happy to do that. But I, I am not a content creator. I create, I'm, I'm a creator of a lot of really cool and interesting things. Um, but most of those live in code and most of those live in, in a sort of a, a, a different arena. But I'm, I'm certainly open for people to find me and, and share their thoughts with me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carlos. So grateful for you. So grateful for your magic. I also created two dope episodes with Carlos. 
one's called Crypto's Alien, and it's on my Patreon, Patreon slash Lacey Free. And then we have another one about sort of your history and indigenous magic. So I really encourage people to listen to those episodes because you're a whale of knowledge. You can find me or book a reading at LaceyFree.com or on Instagram at LaceyIsFree. Thank you. Bye. Who are the witches? Where do they come from? Maybe your great-great-grandmother was one. Witches are wise, wise women, they say. And each and every one of us are witches today. Oh, 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 oh,